episode 57 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on October 31st, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, BioWare moved all of their North American servers to the East Coast. I'll talk about players' reactions and the possible impact this might have on your gameplay experience. The long-awaited utility changes are on the way for Game Update 5.6. BioWare released the full list of changes this week. Finally this week, BioWare is celebrating Knights of the Old Republic by giving away the Shadow of Revan expansion, I'll tell you how you can get it, and I'll talk about one of KOTOR's most iconic characters. And with that, it's time to make the jump to Lightspeed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 57 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another terrific show lined up for you today. As always, let's start with some announcements for the Old Republic. Just a reminder that time is running out on the cartel coin giveaway that I'm doing. That's right, I've got a bunch of codes, which if I were to use them myself, I'd get in all kinds of trouble. So I've got no choice but to give them away. So here's what you need to do. I want to know who your favorite companion is, your BFF of the Old Republic. Send me a screenshot of you with your favorite companion, and it can be anyone. It's not just limited to class companions or story companions. If your BFF is Galt, an Dog, or a Wampa, it's all good. This is not a beauty contest. I'm not going to be judging. I will select winners randomly from the pool of entries. Email your screenshots to me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include a name that you'd like to be referred to as. It can be a character name, your Twitter name, or Twitch name. I want to announce the winners, and I also want to post all of the screenshots over at sotorpodcast.com. And you probably don't want to use your real names. The contest ends on Thursday, November 2nd, and I will contact each winner via email. So, just to recap, I'm giving away cartel coins. There will be multiple winners. Just send me a screenshot of you with your favorite companion to sotorpodcast at gmail.com. Contest ends on November 2nd. All winners will be selected randomly, and winners will be notified via email. So, if you haven't entered, do so today. Now, that's not all that's happening in the community. On November 4th, the Unholy Alliances Guild is holding an Extra Life charity event. And just like last week, rather than have me screw up all the details, here they are to tell you everything you need to know. Hey, Tour fans, it's that time of year again. That's right, it's time to get ready for Extra Life. The Wookiee Alliance Extra Life Marathon will be on November 4th, starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and run for 12 hours. Join us for SWOTOR Wood Squares, an in-game reenactment of the Classic American Game Show. This event will feature members of the SWOTOR content creator community, and also our special center square will be none other than community manager Eric Musco. In addition, we'll have the Fort Tuscan Grand Prix, a PvP hostage rescue game, a fashion show, a radio-free dance party, and much, much more. Join the team or donate to one of the team members. Details are at unholyalliance.org slash extra life. Remember, 
Join us on the Harbinger server Saturday, November 4th at 11 Eastern. Play games and heal kits. That's it for the announcements. Let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. And if I have my act together, then you may very well be listening to this on October 31st, and that means maintenance and game update 5.5a. Patch notes were released on Monday afternoon, and while it's not a huge patch, it's like they say, big things sometimes come in small packages. Get ready to head back to Section X, Yavin 4, Zyost, Oricon, the Black Hole, and CZ198, because those areas are once again rewarding large amounts of CXP. Now, it's not the same as it was before, where each individual mission grants over 1,000 CXP. The individual missions will remain at 75 CXP. The reward is now baked into the weekly for each area. When you complete the weekly, you will earn a large amount of CXP for each mission that contributes to the weekly, and the values of the daily areas are as follows. Iocath now rewards 10,000 CXP, Oricon rewards 6,750 CXP. McKeb rewards 8,000 CXP. Yavin 4 rewards 9,000 CXP. Black Hole rewards 6,750, as does Section X. And CZ198 and Zyost both reward 5,625 CXP each. And remember, that is for the weekly, not individual quests. And I believe these are base values and don't take into account Victory State, Legacy Perk, and any CXP boost you might be running. It should also be noted that the weekly for Zyost, Yavin 4, CZ198, Makeb, and Oricon can all be done solo, and for the most part, Iocath as well. Uh, the weekly for Section X and the Black Hole both have a heroic plus four mission, and I don't believe you can do those on your own. So just something to keep in mind as you go about doing these daily areas. And while maintenance on October 31st contained a patch, the maintenance held on October 24th did not. However, there was one pretty significant change regarding servers. Here's what producer Keith Kanig posted after the maintenance was over. We have completed the upgrade of game servers along with all their supporting infrastructure in the data centers. We made a large investment of new hardware and software and one of our primary goals was to substantially reduce our footprint while improving our overall server capacity. During our evaluation of the new servers, we determined we could combine our North American data centers. That also occurred today and we have officially moved out of our West Coast location. Our testing showed no impact on gameplay experience, but we expect some of you playing on formerly West Coast servers may see higher ping times. We'll use the next two weeks to smooth out any kinks and resolve any performance issues encountered. So without warning, the West Coast servers went bye-bye and everyone in North America is now connecting to East Coast servers. And in what should come as a surprise to no one, people are not happy about this. And Eric Musco took to the official forums to explain, among other things, why didn't they tell us this was going to happen. We made the decision to not communicate this information ahead of time because we wanted you to have the ability to immediately log in and determine the impact to your gameplay experience. This meant we could quickly start gathering feedback and what you were seeing in-game. More on this in the next question. However, we have seen posts from players who made specific decisions based on location, such as character transfers, and we will be in touch with them to discuss. 
to ensure there is no confusion about this update in-game, we adjusted the server selection screen to reflect that all North American servers are on the East Coast. Okay, so they didn't communicate ahead of time because they wanted an immediate and pure reaction, if you will. In other words, had they given us advance notice, there would have been a deluge of complaints about how the game was going to be absolutely unplayable by anyone who isn't on the East Coast. Players would have created characters on East Coast servers and began posting ping and performance times as compared to what they were getting on West Coast servers. People would have hurled a massive streaming pile of Banthapudu at the dev team all before any of this went live and without actually seeing the new servers in action. Then there is the question of even if players did know about this in advance, what could they have done about it? I think the answer is not much. There was no place to transfer to. I mean, if you played on a North American server, you were going to be stuck connecting to the East Coast. The players that suffered the most from this lack of knowledge are the ones who transferred to a West Coast server in preparation for the United Forces campaign. Because let's face it, when you saw how the servers were getting merged, it was perfectly reasonable to think that there would be East and West Coast data centers. I certainly assumed that would be the case. So the fact that players couldn't do anything about it, and the fact that this decision was irreversible, and the fact that we had new hardware that could potentially offset some of the issues, I think they took the Apollo 13 approach and figured we didn't need to know. Flight, they're still shallowing a bit up there. Do you want to tell them? Is there anything we could do about it? Not now, Flight. And they don't need to know, do they? Copy that. Now, I know they would have gotten a lot of backlash ahead of actually seeing the changes in action, but if people made a decision to spend money and transfer characters because they thought there would be West Coast data centers, then I think the better option would have been to let people know ahead of time that they were moving all of the servers to the East Coast, especially since character transfers are now disabled. So everyone who plays on a North American server is now on the East Coast in Virginia. And since that's a done deal, a lot of people asked, why not just have one server? And this is what Eric replied. Moving all of North America together would create a very heavily populated server. This would introduce several challenges. One, players would likely experience queues accessing the server. And two, it would increase the chance for server instability and downtime. There are also a variety of other issues, but a key concern was combining all of North America would result in substantially more character name collisions. So basically, a server can handle a lot of people, but it just can't handle all of the people. And name collision is going to be an issue, and anything they can do to mitigate that is probably good. Also, just because the server isn't physically on the West Coast, there are going to be communities of players who are. Harbinger is a West Coast server, and it's being grouped with other West Coast servers, so there's a pretty good chance that those player communities will schedule activities around the Pacific time zone. So what are some of the potential ramifications to all of this? Obviously, the big concern is increased ping times and latency, and there is no question that some people are now having issues that they didn't before. And if you run 16-man ops or nightmare mode ops or do ranked PvP, performance matters. Lag and latency can be the difference between winning and wiping. And not only that, but lag ruins the overall experience. And quite frankly, this is something you shouldn't have to think about. You should be fighting the bosses and not the technology. Where the server is located, what technology it's on, how many people are on, and are all things that should be out of sight and out of mind. 
So who is affected the most by this? There are a lot of factors that go into how the game performs for any one individual, but the group of players impacted the most by all of this are probably those in the Asia-Pacific region, also known as APAC, and specifically our friends down under in Australia and New Zealand. Now to put this in a little perspective, Australia is not exactly across the street from California. It's a 15-hour flight from LA to Sydney versus a 5-hour flight from LA to Virginia. So one is inclined to ask, what's 3,000 more miles between friends? Is this really the breaking point for those in the APAC? I'm not a NetOps guy, and I won't claim to fully understand how this all works, but this isn't so much about distance as it is the number of connections or hops that you have to make to get to the server. And the further away these data centers go, the more hops you're likely to have to make, and therein lies the problem. Like I said, I'm not a NetOps guy, but I did see Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and if you live in the APAC region and you're trying to play Star Wars The Old Republic, this might be you right now. It ain't healthy for a mammalian body to hop more than 50 jumps at a time. I know that. We're about to do 700! The new servers and hardware were generally received as bad news, so to offset that, BioWare gave us some great news regarding character slots for the United Forces campaign. One of the concerns with merging servers is the possibility that players could go over the character cap. Now, if that happens, you'll be able to play all of your characters. You just won't be able to create any new ones until you're below the cap. To mitigate this potential problem, BioWare is giving everyone more character slots. F2P players will have a default of 4 characters per server, up from 2. Preferred players will have a default of 12 characters per server, up from 6. Subscribers will have a default of 24 characters per server, up from 12. The maximum character slots per server has also been increased to 100, up from 52. So what does this all mean? Here's what Eric said on the forums. These new slot numbers are separate from any character slots which you have purchased. For subs, we are basically adding 12 character slots per server to your account by making the new default 24 instead of 12. So for example, today you are a subscriber who has never bought any character slots. You have 12 character slots per server. After the update on November 8th, you will have 24 slots per server. Another example, today you are a subscriber who has purchased 30 additional character slots, meaning you have 42 per server. 12 default plus 30 purchased. After the update, you will have 54. 24 is your new default plus the 30 purchased slots. Those are pretty good examples, and one player asked, what happens if I'm at the current 52 character cap on three servers that are merging? If you're at the character cap on three different servers, I think you have bigger issues than going over the cap when the servers merge. That said, the official answer is this. You're going to be over the cap when the merge happens. You will be granted 12 additional slots, which will bring you to a total of 64. You can purchase additional slots to get to 100. However, you still have 56 characters too many. So in that scenario, you won't be able to create any new characters on that server. However, you'll have 56 more characters than is allowed, so it's a bit of a trade-off. 
and continuing to offset the news of the data center consolidations, BioWare released the full list of utility changes that they have planned for Game Update 5.6, which is less than a month away now. I'm not going to get into everything here because I don't study this stuff enough to fully understand the implications, and it's a long list of changes. It'll take me the whole show to read everything, and I'll just put you to sleep. I will say this, though. When you think of advanced classes that needed changes, the one that comes to everyone's mind are mercenaries and commandos and their defensive capabilities. Well, guess what? Nerfs incoming. And I don't know if this is to the ground, but they're definitely getting nerfed. Here are the notes. Trauma regulators now heals 4% per stack instead of 5% and stacks 10 times instead of 15. The heal from Colto Overload, given by Colto Surge, can only heal the mercenary up to 60% of their maximum health instead of 70. And uh, trauma, trauma Regulators is now a heroic utility and Koto Surge is now a legendary utility. And here are the dev notes for these changes. The mercenary's defensive options were too good. So we reduced the effectiveness of Trauma Regulators and Koto Surge. So if you haven't read all of the changes, you should I'll post a link to them in the show notes. But here's another example of the type of change they're making. And these are the dev notes for the for Carnage Marauders. And yes, I am Imperial biased in case you hadn't noticed. We noticed a disparity between damage output on the Carnage Discipline from players that could successfully clip a vicious throw in a ferocity window and those who couldn't due to factors outside of their control like server latency. Clipping led to being able to use three abilities affected by Ferocity during the original three-second window instead of two. To remedy this, we changed Ferocity to be stack-based, with two stacks lasting 10 seconds. Additionally, Ferocity now only affects certain abilities, making it possible for players to use a less optimal ability during the window without sacrificing a stack of Ferocity. Although this will look like a DPS loss, Carnage's target DPS has always been calculated without clipping in mind, so this change should effectively normalize Carnage's DPS to our target. Changes are coming. They are long overdue, and we can probably expect some additional ones after 5.6. And remember that we're getting new augments in 5.6, which allows us to throw things out of balance ahead of any additional changes. In fact, I'm not going to cover it here, but there is some data-mined information out there on the new augments, and they do look pretty powerful. One final thought on class balance. In the future, I hope they make this a priority. This is something that needs to be addressed during the first couple of months after an expansion is released, not almost a year later. There has been no mention of another expansion for SWOTOR, although during the live stream, uh, when asked about an expansion, Keith said that they weren't ready to talk about expansion plans. It's almost a certainty that we will see one. And if it were to drop in March or April of 2018, then that's only four months with the classes in balance before everything changes again. I don't know if that's what will happen, but I hope the lesson learned here is that class tuning is not something that should be made to linger, and it's something that needs to happen right away.
That music you just heard is from the Shadow of Revan expansion. You hear it during the solo encounter with Revan, among other places. I played it today because Knights of the Old Republic is being released on Xbox One. And to celebrate, BioWare is giving away the Shadow of Revan expansion for free. If you aren't a subscriber and don't have the expansion, go to swotor.com forward slash redeem dash code and enter the code Revan Returns and you will unlock the expansion. I believe it will give you the Rise of the Huck Cartel expansion as well. And if you enter the code KOTOR Speeder, you'll receive a KOTOR inspired speeder for your account. Now this is a limited time offer and it expires on November 6th, so time is running out. Now, Drew Karpishin is the man largely responsible for Revan and Knights of the Old Republic, and he published a short blog on the evolution of Revan. In it, he wrote, Revan has become a part of Star Wars lore and an iconic figure in the Old Republic and a beloved fan favorite. Knights of the Old Republic created a lot of fan favorites, but there is one other character who rose to the level of Revan and stands alongside him as part of Star Wars lore. I'm talking about the murderous droid HK-47. Back in 2015, a site called Motherboard published an article on HK-47 titled The Evil Star Wars Robot Who Owns the Term Meatbag. They interviewed David Gator, who was the writer behind HK-47. According to the article, Gator said that HK-47 was an afterthought compared to the work that went into other characters, and that he wasn't even going to have any dialogue. Here's a quote from Gator on how HK-47 came about. I finished up my work on the other characters a little bit early, and I had an extra week. So James Olin suggested that I go and write something for HK-47. Gator said, At the time, I was like, ugh. I wasn't thrilled with the idea because I didn't know what I would do with him, and I only had a week to put it together. The rest, as they say, is history, and in that one week's time, Gator created a character that many believe deserves a spot in the official canon of Star Wars. In fact, Chuck Wendig came very close to canonizing HK-47 in his Aftermath trilogy. He had an idea for an interlude in which an unsuspecting droid salesman travels to Bespin and in his inventory is none other than HK-47. He sells the droid and the new owner unwittingly unleashes the assassin droid on the denizens of Cloud City. The idea was rejected, but it's a testament to just how popular the droid has become. And I believe he served as an inspiration for other droids such as Triple Zero. He remains one of my favorite all-time characters. Answer. Allow me to say that I have little doubt that residents of that sector were fishing pieces of bochaba out of their soup for weeks afterward. A couple of miscellaneous items for today. Traditional Jedi robes are coming to Star Wars The Old Republic. The revered Master armor set was recently datamined. Whether it's from a pack or direct sale remains to be seen, but it is finally happening, and that should come in Game Update 5.6. The set is with the hood down, by the way, and may or may not have some additional bits and bobs. As Eric Musco joked on Reddit, you did want a jetpack on it, right? Also, Charles Boyd tweeted this week that he was flying out to L.A. for more voice acting. While nothing is confirmed, the speculation is is that this is for story that comes after Capero, and it involves returning companions. And a final reminder for today, the maintenance schedule has been released through the end of this year, and it is as follows. November 8th. This is a Wednesday. It will be a long maintenance, 
And when all is said and done, United Forces will be live. This is Server Merge Day. And I'll cover all of the changes and things you need to know in next week's podcast for United Forces campaign. Uh, On November 28th, Game Update 5.6 goes live. It'll have a new story, Flashpoint Warzone, and more. This is probably one of the biggest patches we've seen all year. And then as we move into December, there will be maintenance for uh, on December 12th for Game Update 5.6.1, and then again on December 19th, which is just back-end maintenance. So that's all for today. Remember to get me your contest submissions, and I thank you all for listening each week. And with that, let me cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 57 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at sotorpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 58 on November 7th. And remember the Sith code, cake is a lot.